Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the best college football pick and pod in the land. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black, brought to you by BellyUpSports.com. And this is another Pick'em Rewind. We're rewinding it back to week two, where, Alan, we saw some crazy stuff go down. Six upsets on our board of 10 games. One of those upsets led to the firing of Clay Hilton at Southern Cal. It was a wild week two in the blackout. Alan, how are you doing tonight? Oh man, I'm I'm surviving barely after after this past week of pickums. That was that was rough, my man. It was extremely rough. Alan and I took the brunt of it along with a whole bunch of other people. And Alan, before we get into the rewind, I'd love to just hearken back to one thing you said in our pickum tutorial because I think it's completely relevant. And uh, I would just like to remind our listeners that. We know less about all of these college football teams than we ever have before. I think this past week, if there wasn't evidence of it before, I think this past week absolutely showed that. And it's just something that we're going to point back to. We're not making excuses. It's just a fact. We know less about these teams than we ever have before. And it's so difficult to look back at a COVID year that was all mixed up, less games being played, less non-conference games being played, and trying to fit that into what we know about these teams coming back this year. It's really, really challenging, and we're going to try to make our way through it the best way we can. And of course, hopefully giving some helpful insight to our listeners as we go. Yeah, I mean, we're parsing and uh, kind of sifting our way through it. And, uh, you know, with all the transfers, it's amazing to see how many transfers have made big impacts so far. Um, you know, every time you turn on a game, there's, there's a big impact transfer and the vast majority of them are from Tennessee, but (laughs) it's been really, really interesting to, to watch, uh, over the the last little bit. It's been fun. It sure has. You ready to dive into the rewind? Let's run it back, man. All right. We're going to take a look at the standings like we do each and every week. We're going to do it this time looking at a brand new leader at the top of the pick'em board. Jordan is our new leader. He only went five and five this past week in his picks, but Alan, he came away with the top weekly score going with 38 points. He got an individual weekly win all separated by himself and it pumped him all the way to the top. And get this, he was sitting outside the top 10 Uh, But going into week two, so he now sits at the top of the leaderboard. He has 79 points. 
Alan, uh, you and I had a really rough week. I had 25 points going four and six of my picks. You had the exact same mark. Uh, Because of that, I find myself nine points behind Jordan. I have 70 total, and I'm in a tie for 10th place. Alan, you are in a tie for 28th and are 15 points off the lead with 64 yourself. Yeah, man, just a just a uggo. It was just a, it was really really bad. Kudos to Jordan. He texted me after the the week, and he's like, "Hey, just let me know if you need me to come on the podcast and give you any tips and, and tricks." <laughs> and kind of stuff. So I appreciated that. And uh, you know, hey, kudos to him. It sometimes it's not about the the you know the amount of picks you get right. It's where you have them, and he had the ones in the right spot and didn't make some of those mistakes that you and I did that led us to only getting 25 points this week. Well, it's a true testament because think about the difference in our pick'em slate compared to Jordan's. Again, you and I went four and six in our picks. Honestly, I don't think I've ever gone four and six in a week before. I know I've had weeks where I've gone five and five, uh, but I think this is my first sub 500 week ever. Uh, But in comparison, again, we went four and six. Jordan went five and five, only one pick better. Yet he ended up with 13 more points than either you or I did in our week. And that, of course, is more than an individual game you can pick up. You know, the most you can pick up is 10 with an individual game. So uh, more than one game's worth of points separated, uh, but only one game better in the picks. It's a remarkable finish. Oh, yeah. Well, some would call him the real Slim Shady. <laughs> Jordan, of course, is the leader of the pack, and he is running at the front uh, in a chase to get our grand prize that is a performance package 4.0 from Manscaped.com and a $100 Visa gift card. So everybody following up Jordan is chasing him down to try and claim that top spot. So, Alan, let's go ahead and dive in, and let's look at everything that went down in the Pick'em Slate here in a Week 2 Rewind. What game would you like to start with? Ooh, the good, bad, and the ugly. I'll start early on. Um, you know, when you, well, at least early in the West Coast area, a and I think is vastly overrated. Haynes King or no Haynes King, right? They, they get by barely, and I had them kind of up the board. I think I had them at an eight, but it, it really, I think they are vastly overrated um, regardless how long Haynes King is out. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, Of course, I think you'll agree with this. I think the Aggies' defense is legit. I think it's really, really good. They've just got a lot of questions offensively, trying to replace a veteran quarterback, like you mentioned with Haynes King. Then he goes down with the fractured leg. We've talked about it. You just mentioned it. He's out indefinitely. There's some rumors coming out that he may be back by mid-October. So the injury, you know, fractured leg sounds terrible, but they're not saying he's done for the season. So he could be back at some point. And Zach Calzada came in and the offense struggled a bunch. But at the end of the game, he started making some good throws and really helped them fight their way down the field for the win. It's just going to be interesting to see what this offense looks like in future weeks as they transition to Calzada and see if maybe they change things up to fit his skill set a little bit more than maybe things were set up going in for Haynes King. Right. And, you know, you, you don't want to base everything off of, of one game, right? And especially when he has to come in midway through a game or anything like that. But they had offensive struggles the previous week, too. That, that that were alarming to me. Their defense is legit and was probably a top three defense in the league. But I, I just don't know that they're going to be able to hang up offensively 
against when they're when they're playing some some teams defensively that are far better than Colorado is. Yeah, you would certainly think so. And even like you said, going back to week one, when King was in there, they scored a lot of points, but he threw a lot of picks. Uh, There were certainly some things that you have to be looking at. So they've got a lot of things to work on. Jimbo Fisher is certainly going to have to try and work some magic there in College Station to try and figure out that offense because, hey, look at the top of the division. Alabama's right there each and every time they turn around trying to claim their stake as one of the top teams in the the division, trying to make a claim at, hey, we can make a run at the uh, college football playoff and a national championship. Of course, big bad Alabama's right there. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody's always looking up at, at that one. Um, always looking up. I, I, here's one that I, I just absolutely overlooked in the, in the noon slot that might have been the biggest upset of the week. How about Oregon going to the shoe and beating the Buckeyes? That's the one I was going to go to next as well, Alan. It was a tremendous performance by the Ducks. Mario Cristobal and that team really did an awesome, awesome job. The running attack was great with Anthony Brown and C.J. Verdell. Uh, They went back and caused problems for Ohio State's defense consistently throughout the game. It was well documented on the broadcast if you were watching. Ohio State Mm -hmm. wasn't making adjustments. You know, they... They found issues slowing down Oregon's offense, and they kept on trying to do the same things again and again, and Oregon took big-time advantage of it. Absolutely. I mean, they legit manhandled them. I mean, and and this had nothing to do with the offense. C.J. Stroud played really well. He had 450-plus yards and three touchdowns, but it wasn't enough. The the biggest stat, I mean, and this is staggering, is that Oregon went to – went to the shoe and had 269 yards rushing and they went 50% on third downs. That is unheard of against this Ohio state Buckeyes defense. I mean, they just, they just manned up a goal bond and whooped them. Not to mention they did it without a couple of stars on the defensive side of the ball. Kayvon Thibodeau was out. Justin Flo was out. Uh, There's a lot of information coming out on those, and it's just been reported in the last few hours that Justin Flo is likely done for the rest of the season now with already with his injury uh, dating back to week one. And Oregon's backup who came in place of him, Drew Mathis, also went down with an injury in the Ohio State game, so he's going to miss some extended time. There's not really a determination on whether he'll be back this season. Uh, there was a lot of stuff that went down this in this game. Uh, a couple, one more stat I'll throw out at you is that Ohio State went two of five on fourth down in this game. They put up over 600 yards of offense. Man, they were having a lot of success themselves. You mentioned it with uh, the quarterback play and what they had going there with C.J. Stroud, but. The fact that they went two of five on fourth downs was a big limiter on them being able to finish drives with points and uh, a big piece of why Ohio State came up on the wrong end of the scoreboard. Yeah, I, I agree. But I don't think Ryan Day has to look at in his offensive room for, for why they lost. 100% right. I, yeah, right. Like, I mean, you you, spend, you score as, as many points, and they scored 28 at home. That should be enough to, to win you a football game. That's on the defense not being able to stop the run. And they've lost a lot over the past couple of years, talent-wise, to the NFL. But man, oh man, that that was just an all-around incredibly impressive win by 
uh, by the Oregon Ducks. One more injury note that we have to take and uh, just throw out there for the listeners so you know it as we go through the rest of the season. Uh, on th- Last week when I talked to Dan Hope of 11warriors.com, he talked about all the injuries in the secondary for Ohio State. Well, there was another one on Saturday. Safety John Proctor went down with a fractured leg, and he is now done for 2021. So already mm. kind of banged up in the secondary, already kind of young back there. Now a safety Josh Proctor done for the year. That's tough. I mean, that's just a tough break. Hate that for the kid. Um, you never want to see that, especially with a, a young secondary that's going to be losing some confidence. That, that that's a that's a tough break. Alan, let's go ahead and jump over to another big upset. This one in the night portion of our pick'em slate. Stanford on top of Southern Cal. 42-28. We already mentioned it. Clay Helton is done. He's already been fired, let go. Now we've got to talk about what Southern Cal is this season. They're supposed to be one of the favorites in the Pac-12. Uh, they certainly didn't look like it last night. I go back to last season. I don't think they ever really looked like it last year. So what is this Southern Cal team? I'm not really sure. Now they've got no head coach and they've got to figure out what the future looks like. And uh, of course, we got to start wondering, hey, who is the next head man with the Southern Cal Trojans? Uh, They are the classic underachiever. And I mean, so much talent. There's so much talent at USC and across the state of California. There's there's no reason they had any business losing to Stanford, which is ultimately why Clay Helton got the ax, right? He just cannot lose that game, especially a week after Kansas State dog whipped that same Stanford <laughs> team 24 to 7. He just can't lose it. That was the most remarkable part because you come into this game, of course, everybody's thinking, hey, Southern Cal's going to take care of business against the Stanford team. They're kind of washed up. Kansas State held him in check the whole game. They've got this new quarterback coming in, Tanner McKee. Surely he's not going to do anything. And Southern Cal, rightfully so, was a 17-point favorite for this game. But Tanner yeah. McKee comes in. He was efficient with the football. He was accurate. He protected it. The offensive line kind of manhandled the USC. They opened up running lanes. It was just an all-around impressive performance for Stanford and looked kind of like the Stanford of, what, four or five years ago that was consistently winning 10 games in the Pac-12. Absolutely. I was beginning to wonder about David Shaw out there, to be honest with you. I'm like, man, have they really just dropped off the cliff? Is is this the end of that era of Stanford football when you knew when you faced the Cardinal, you were, you were going to get a punch right in the mouth, you know, it's going to power right in the kisser. And uh, that wasn't the case. I mean, he, he ended up, um, you know, being the, the last thing Clay, uh, Clay Helton saw on his way out. As we talk about Helton leaving, Alan, there's a lot of names swirling around. Who are some of the names you have in mind that you think might be a good fit for the Southern Cal job as we go throughout the year? Obviously, a hiring is probably going to be made uh, you know, at the very earliest, probably a couple of months from now. It's probably not going to be in the next couple of weeks or anything, uh, but I, certainly there will be a lot of speculation going around a lot of different places. I think some guys that would crawl over broken glass to get there is somebody like a, a Luke Fickle. Right. Somebody that's at that that mid, you know, not mid-major because this isn't college basketball or anything, but looking at that non-power five level, at least until a couple of years when they joined the Big 12, you, you look at, at kind of that level. But I mean, the name that you keep seeing popping up on all of these boards is James Franklin. And I, and I think he would he would light it up out there. He's so charismatic. He's so gifted. Um, I know that leaves kind of his home state type of thing with Penn State, but the chance to go out west, uh, I, I think a, 
as it would be fascinating to me to see how this NFL season plays out. If the Jags are a total freaking disaster, like they looked like they were on Sunday, but one person, if they don't hire until way after this season, is would they be willing to wait if if Urban's like, hey, baby, how you doing? <laughs> you, want some, you want some of that loving, <laughs> right? That that would be the, the totally out of left field kind of candidate. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think each of the three names you threw out there are really good fits potentially for this job. James Franklin's a dynamic recruiter. Like you said, personality-wise, I think he's a good fit. Honestly, just listening to a lot of college football voices over the last couple of years, James Franklin's been the name that I've heard most about this job probably for the last year and a half to two years. Uh, It keeps on coming up because Clay Hilton's been on such a hot seat for such a long time, and he's been the one mentioned so many times, and everything I've heard about it makes a lot of sense. You mentioned Luke Fickle. Here's the thing that stands out the most about him, I think. Mike Bone is the athletic director at Southern Cal. Mike Bone was the athletic director at Cincinnati when he hired Luke Fickle. So they've already got a relationship. That would be someone to watch, I think, certainly because of the history they have and because Luke Fickle's done such a good job at Cincinnati. You're on top of it with Urban Meyer. I think that he's always got that itch to get back in college football some way or another. Maybe he sticks with the NFL for a while, but uh, Urban Meyer is certainly a name that I think could really do some good things at Uh, at Southern Cal. And then one more I'll throw out to you, one that I've seen mentioned, and I think this would be crazy, just an awesome scenario and, uh, and really heat up the rivalry even more. But what if Southern Cal went after Mario Cristobal? He's done an awesome job at Oregon. He has a ton of talent. He's been out recruiting Southern Cal. Why not take a shot at one of your big rivals and see if there's any interest from Mr. Cristobal? I would wonder if USC would would be willing. I know they're a private school, which is mind-boggling to me. So they could they could probably with their donor base, they could probably just throw a blank check at Cristobal. And up until this past year, Cristobal, you know, he hadn't gone anywhere, but it wasn't exactly like that that he was just raking in the dough, you know, up there in Oregon until they restructured his contract. And so you you, you wonder if maybe that that it comes back into his mind, maybe he can go make six you know five six million dollars down in uh in cali instead very interesting stuff alan let's go ahead and keep on diving through the pick and rewind one i'm going to give you a ton of credit for you called it last week on the pick and pod an upset with the arkansas razorbacks at home winning 40 to 21 over texas congrats on the pick sir it was awesome and such a tremendous uh win by sam Pittman and his staff uh, really taking control of that game from the get-go Oh my gosh! Yes, absolutely. I mean they they made they made Texas look um, incompetent in many ways and not ready for that stage. Sam Pittman is just such a great fit at Arkansas. You can tell he just he just loves it there. He reminds me of when Bruce Pearl was at Tennessee. It was just like it was just magic until you know he was an idiot and cheated and all that kind of stuff. Sam Pittman is just a great fit. He he just oozes confidence. His guys love to play for him, and uh, it was a, that was a huge huge win uh, on a national stage for the Razorbacks. And you know I'm glad I got that one right. One of freaking four that I got right. So I'm not <laughs> here, you know just counting my money or anything, but at least I did get that one right. Definitely. The Razorbacks went 47 carries for 333 yards, 7.1 yards an attempt. 
uh, just a really dominant performance throughout. Uh, Allen got it right. I was on the wrong side. I went with Texas at a four. I kind of talked about having a little bit less confidence than the spread indicated last week, but it still didn't serve me that much justice because, of course, Texas was dominated on the field. One note to take away from this game is Hudson Card was replaced late in that game by Casey Thompson. He led Texas on a couple of late touchdown drives, and now he's going to be the starter headed into next week playing against Rice. So that's just an interesting development to keep in mind for the Longhorns as we go down the rest of the way through the season. It may not be the only change we see, you know, before uh, before a couple more weeks go out. I would agree. And to be honest, that was a really tough ask for Hudson Card to go in there into Razorback Stadium at night and only week two, you know, that's, that's a tough, that's a tough deal, you know, and it was kind of set up for failure in many ways. Um, so you kind of feel bad for him, but you know, this is, this can be Casey Thompson's job to, to kind of run away with. He gets rice this week. They should put up a bunch of points, build some confidence back to that team. And uh, we'll we'll see how the Big 12 schedule goes. From one quarterback situation to another, Alan, please tell me you have at least caught some highlights of Anthony Richardson at Florida. Of course, Emory Jones has been the starter, but Anthony Richardson is the one grabbing the headlines. He is making dynamic plays with both his legs and his arm every single time he's on the field. And it's going to be interesting to see what that, how that quarterback situation plays out, especially with Alabama coming next week and further down the road for the Florida Gators this year. Yeah, it, it feels like that transition is going to happen sooner rather than later, right? I don't know when Mullen's going to pull that plug, but I mean, Richardson's been unbelievably so dynamic in, in every way. Um, he's exactly what Florida would need to take the next step. And so I, I foresee that happening. You know, if Emory Jones doesn't, doesn't really fare all that well in the first part of this game against Alabama, I can see them flipping the switch um, and maybe they're just trying to get through this to get to Tennessee next week, and then they'll throw him in there and be like, hey, he can go score 50 points against these guys. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. with, when you're looking at Emory Jones, he's thrown two picks in each of the first two games this year, already four on the season, and you mentioned it whenever Anthony Richardson comes in, it's almost perfection. Now, it's not a very big sample size, uh, but right. he's been super, super impressive every time he touches the ball. And like you said, uh, you, look, you look at Mullen's post-game press conference, he was almost defiant saying, yes, Emory Jones is our starter, but I'm with you. I'm thinking maybe he's just going to do it one more time, make sure Alabama gets out of the way, make sure you have a little bit more experienced quarterback for facing all the talent that the Crimson Tide brings to the field, then maybe throw Anthony Richardson out there to start a game against the Volunteers. Yeah, I could definitely see that. This wouldn't be the, the you know, the only time that, that the Gators have, have thrown a, a backup quarterback in there and, and they become a Heisman candidate overnight. Let's go ahead and talk about your volunteers, Alan. This is one that was a back-and-forth battle. Pittsburgh coming out on top 41-34. I went with the Pittsburgh Panthers at a level five in confidence. You had your volunteers at a two uh, but early on, it looked like Tennessee was in a really, really good spot in this game. Uh, they just could not stop Kenny Pickett along the way. Oh my goodness! It was that. Honestly, that might have been the most fun and entertaining game of the day. It was. It was an incredible back and forth game, and uh, both teams didn't pay 
play particularly well. Tennessee defensively couldn't force a turnover. Kenny Pickett showed why he was going to be at the very latest a day two pick in the NFL draft. He's just he's just very mobile. He reminds me a lot of you know Zach Wilson a couple of years ago, Baker Mayfield a few years ago. He, he just he just kind of has that knack and and moxie about him. I I look for Pittsburgh to be pretty pretty uh, good this year uh, maybe an eight nine win team and um you know they just they just kept making plays when they needed them and god help joe milton that man <laughs> could <laughs> I, i'm i'm not i i swear he was part of the insurrection on january 6th because he's just overthrowing everything <laughs> he couldn't throw a ball in the ocean if he's sitting in a canoe i mean it, it, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. rough man uh, there are a couple times early in that game tennessee's threatening to blow out pittsburgh or at least yes. at least get a big lead on them it happened early we were at what 10 nothing in this game right yes early oh off God. i was feeling good because when it was seven nothing off the blocked punt there was a play where joe milton had a dude running wide wide open and all you need to do is lay the ball out there heck underthrow the ball if you want to make the receiver stop just get him the ball and he overshoots these guys by five six seven yards every single time it feels like I just don't understand how it happens and if I'm sitting there as Josh Heupel I'm scheming guys open left and right that's kind of how he makes his offense just find a quarterback that can hit a receiver who's wide dang open seriously like I mean the I've never seen some of these guys so wide open and then to miss by five or six yards. I I don't even know how that is physically possible. Like I would love to watch this guy play cornhole and like end up throwing it, you know, like 30 yards past the board or something like that. It's just unbelievable. I was bouncing back and forth between games how accurate was Hendon Hooker when he was throwing the ball, you know, medium length to deep down the field when he came in the game? He was okay, medium uh, down the field, medium. You know, he was not good down the field, though. They okay. That part of the game was really, at that point, it, it wasn't a part of the game. He he moved the offense because of his legs. Oh, he, yeah. made a couple, he made a couple of decent throws, but, I mean, maybe the most important throw he made was – the the one at the end that was intercepted that kind of ended the game, right? They they got the the great field position at 34 going in to potentially tie with only like six minutes left, and then he throws something late over the middle, just a dumb dumb throw, things that you just can't do, and and that essentially ended the game because then Pitt was able to run it um, a couple of times and get a first down, and that was it. Alan, shifting over to another game, one that we were on the same page on last week, both our top value picks, but we were on the wrong end with, we both missed our pick on NC State. They fell to Mississippi State 24 to 10. And basically this game went out the exact opposite of what we said. I mean, (laughs) NC State play to play, gaining yards, especially early in the game, actually looked pretty good. They just didn't come away with points, but it was the turnovers that killed NC State. Three of them, Will Rogers played a clean game. He didn't throw a single pick. We were kind of betting on the other end of that. I think it was really the the turnovers that doomed the Wolfpack in this matchup, losing by 14 to the Bulldogs. Yeah, that's, that's the notes that I made in looking at it. You can't turn the ball over three times on the road. You just can't do that. Right. And and then, like you said, Will Rogers played a clean game. Kudos to the Pirate. I mean, they 
they really, really came back after struggling against Louisiana Tech. And and I said we said on here last week, Louisiana Tech's not a bad team. Right? That's that's a pretty good team, but we anticipated NC State to be able to go and and run the ball. We expected them to play a, a pretty clean game, and you know that just did not happen. And, and Mississippi State's off to a, a two and zero start, and. You know, maybe maybe they've got some some things going down there in the cowfields. One of the most impressive performances I found, it wasn't that intriguing of a matchup. It wasn't that intriguing of a game. But BYU coming away with a win over Utah 26-17 with Utah as a sizable favorite in this one. We both missed this pick as well. Uh, yeah. Really, I, I'm just impressed with BYU and what they've been able to field Coming off of the successful season they had, Zach Wilson going off to the NFL as a top pick in the NFL draft. And now you're looking at Jaron Hall, the new quarterback. Uh, Tyler Algier, the running back, he's still there. He's doing a great job. But no Zach Wilson, no Dax Milne, the top wide receiver from last season. BYU's been pretty impressive, man. And coming away with a win over a rival in Utah, I was very impressed with what the Cougars did. That was what, the first time in seven years that they win the Holy War? It was I think it's something staggering like that. I mean, good for good for BYU. Um, Charlie Brewer is like is like Michael Jordan when the Monstars take all of the power. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Like Matt Rule is is like the Monstars and they they took him and all of his power got sucked dry and now he's not very good anymore. And so um, kudos to BYU. That's a huge win for them, beating Arizona week one and then beating Utah week two and now playing uh, Arizona State week three. That's they're essentially a, the best Pac-12 team there is, other than Oregon. <laughs> yeah, Charlie Brewer's never been that impressive of a quarterback. I think the thing was in, in Baylor, he had a pretty good set of wide receivers. Uh, they, they weren't the top group in the country or anything like that, but he had a pretty solid group, probably three or four guys he could really trust getting the ball to. I just don't think Utah's that dynamic on the outside. They've been built so much more around the run that I think it's more about him just kind of protecting the ball and kind of trying to make his receivers better. But I don't think he's that talented of a quarterback to really raise that level of play all that much in the passing game. Yeah, I agree. And it, it very much seemed to, um, to, to rear that's, its ugly head on Saturday. Only two more games to touch on with the Rewind. Alan, let's look at the last upset we saw on the board. Iowa defeating Iowa State again. Matt Campbell Man. still winless in this battle between the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes, 27-17 in favor of the Hawkeyes. Alan, uh, this one was nuts because Iowa did what they did against Indiana. The offense was inept. They couldn't move the ball, yet they lived off of turnovers and a score by their defense. Uh, I was figuring out ways to win, but it is not pretty when you look at it on on screen. Uh, yeah, or you might say it wasn't pretty. Um, it Truly, was just <laughs> that was that was not a, just, it was not a pretty game to watch at all. I mean, Brock Purdy had. Three interceptions. That's, I mean, like you said, that is how Iowa won the game. They only had a hundred. Petros only had a hundred and six yards throwing the football, and their leading rusher only had fifty-five yards and a, and a touchdown. So it wasn't like they dominated this game statistically. They just won the the turnover battle. And man, Iowa State could not get out of their own way. So that that was. It's a huge loss for 
um, for Matt Campbell and company. That that this one feels really alarming. But then they'll probably beat Oklahoma in a couple weeks, and all will be well again. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is one of those games, Alan. That I'm not trying to make excuses. I don't think you are either. This is simply put: when you watch this game play out on the field, Iowa State was the better team. And, and they were all game long, but all the turnovers just killed them. And if this game was played again tomorrow, I'm picking the Cyclones again, but it's the turnovers. And I'm warning people right now, people who don't pay that much attention, if you're looking at scores and just saying, well, Iowa won again, they're undefeated, great job, they won by 10 points against a top 10 team, I'm just telling you, their offense is terrible. They put up <laughs> 173 yards in this whole game and somehow scored 27 points. Like those things don't compute. It doesn't match up. They were basically doubled up in yards throughout the game. You mentioned the interceptions. It was four turnovers they got from the Cyclones. They didn't turn it over once. And get this, Allen, Iowa had two drives in which they drove the field. One was a 10-play, 71-yard drive. The other one was an 8-play, 49-yard drive, still in plus territory. But you take those out, and they had 13 drives in the game, excluding kind of end-of-half of, end of stuff. So 13 drives in the game. You take out those two. They had 11 drives where they accumulated a grand total of 53 yards in the game with seven <laughs> three-and-outs. So just just think about that. 11 drives, less than a five-yard average on each of those drives gained per time with the ball. It was terrible. But Iowa still is working their way undefeated. They're looking great. They're getting top 10 votes. But this offense really is bad, and they need to work some things out. Oh, yeah. Like By the time they get in Big Ten play, they're going to have to work some things out. It was I mean, they only Iowa only had 11 first downs in the entire game to Iowa State's 21. Iowa State almost doubled the yardage, as as you mentioned. It is just just incredible, really. That again, they play this game again. I'm picking Iowa State. Iowa just forced a bunch of turnovers, and uh, hey, that sometimes that's the, the way it is. And I hate that I was on the wrong end of that. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, Alan, one last game to look at. We talked about Michigan, wondering what they would be. We both picked them. I picked them at a very low level with a one. You picked them at a six, but they came out on top of Washington, 31 to 10. An impressive performance, I thought, from Michigan. And they got the ground game running. Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, I think, were really the difference in this game, along with the offensive line. Yeah, they only Michigan only had 44 yards passing. Right, but they had 343 yards rushing, so that that is quite an impressive feat. And they just physically dominated Washington, and uh, yeah, I don't know what that's going to mean for Big Ten play for Michigan, but uh, you know, a win's a win, and Harbaugh will take any of those that he can get. That about sums it up, Alan. To recap what we did in the rewind, going back to week two. We went three and five in games that we agreed upon. We disagreed on two. You won one of those, and I won one of those. So it was an ugly, ugly week. Like I said earlier, I think this is the first time I ever went sub 500 in a pick'em slate, and uh, we just have to figure out a way to correct some of those wrongs as we head into week three, man, because it was ugly. 
oh, got to go back, watch the film, and we just got to get better. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, it was ugly for everybody. We talked about six upsets were on the board. Of course, nobody went perfect in their week. What you're looking to do with the blackout each and every week is fight for a $25 Visa gift card. That's up for grabs if you go perfect in your picks and have the closest score in the tiebreaker for total score on the game of the week. That's all you have to do. So we're going to try and help you out there. But of course, we've got to improve a whole lot to be able to give good advice on our Pick'em Pod. That is coming up next. And of course, you can always follow us on Facebook and Twitter, follow the show at the blackout pod. That'll give you lots of information from standings and different things going on with the contest. And of course we appreciate the ratings and reviews on Apple podcasts. Alan, I think that's it for us. Thank you for your time, sir. And everybody make sure you, if you haven't already check out what's coming up next in our pick and pod for week three. That's right. Hit us up. Let's do this. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.